0: listening to vet candy
1: when you see bilateral patella fractures in a cat what's the first thing that goes through your head at that point
0: it's uncommon for us to see you know fractures on both sides like this without you know some kind of you know high level of trauma you know for him he had just been a you know stay at home cat you know, who had never really had anything traumatically ha- traumatic happen
1: to him. This episode is brought to you by Credelio for Cats. Welcome to the Vet Mysteries podcast. My name is Dr. Courtney. I'm a board certified veterinary surgeon and fiercely devoted to pet and animal health. This podcast is powered by Vet Candy, a multimedia platform offering diverse veterinary content produced by veterinary experts and key opinion leaders. In this podcast, we unravel some of the most baffling and fascinating cases in clinical veterinary medicine. Please let us know how you feel about these cases. You can find us on socials at Dr. DrCourtneyDVM and at MyVetCandy. Now, let's get started. Today, folks, we have a true guest. A true distinguished, illustrious, dynamic. There's so many words that come to my mind, but uh, I got to be honest, you will discover all of that as soon as you get a chance to meet her, as soon as you hear her speak. She is absolutely one of the most thorough, I'm going to say thorough and incisive doctors that I have ever met in my entire life. And unfortunate for her, she has to work right alongside me. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the podcast, Dr. Rebecca Webb. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Webb.
0: We'll be right back with more Vet Candy.
2: Cordelio Cat Lodiloner protects your cat from ticks and fleas so you can be close Credelio Close. The first and only of its kind. It's a small, tasty chewable that's easy to give. Lotoloner is a member of the Isoxazoline class of drugs. The most common side effects are weight loss, rapid breathing, and vomiting. This drug class has been associated with neurological adverse reactions. Use with caution on cats with a history of seizures. Keep your cat close. Credelio Close. Thank you for having me, Dr. Campbell.
1: Yeah, this is a really exciting opportunity for me because there's a lot of firsts that are happening right now. A tremendous amount of firsts. First and foremost, it's one of the very first times I get to enjoy a podcast episode with a dear friend of mine. Uh, It's one of the very first times that I get to enjoy a podcast episode with someone who works right alongside me. And then finally, people will find out, but there's also an international element to this podcast too. So it all comes together together. Let's just set this scene. We're here to talk a little bit about a mystery case, right? A case mm-hmm. that we find intriguing and captivating. But before we get to that, if you would mind just setting the scene for us on two things. What was it like where you grew up and how did that inform your understanding about animals?
0: So where I grew up, I grew up in Australia um, in a city called Melbourne and um, kind of grew up around the city um, in the suburbs and... I had a lot of my childhood there, but I also spent a good deal of my childhood um, over in the western um, coast of Australia um, where, you know, my grandma and grandpa, they had a farm with lots of other animals and things like that. So lots of, you know, cows and sheep and things like that in my early childhood and also cats and dogs and things like that that I grew up with.
1: So you you spent time both in a farm, sort of bucolic, rustic environment, but then you also were around companion animals. Of course, the natural inclination is people are going to ask you, well, what did you like more? Did you prefer companion animals or farm animals? Now, it may not be aligned with what you chose in your profession. So when you were growing up, what did you seem to gravitate towards more?
0: I think I always have gravitated towards the companion animals and gravitated towards, you know, their care and things like that. Cause it's more what I experienced in my home life and more, you know, they were the animals that I had just a deeper connection with, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, when we hear about Australia, a lot of people are thinking, oh man, this is really exciting because we never have had a chance to talk to an Australian veterinarian or hear about Australia. For those who are uninitiated, could you, and this might be a little bit difficult of a question because of how encompassing it is, but could you contextualize the standard of veterinary care in Australia?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's very similar to what we have over here in the States. And It's growing, you know, quite quickly too. You know, even as I haven't been there now, you know, working, you know, for you know, probably about, you know, five, six years now. And it's even changed in that period of time and is growing, you know, much bigger and you know, much more developed too than it was when I when I was there in vet school.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So as we all go through this journey, you know, I talked we talked a little bit about some of your favorite species or what you tend to gravitate towards more, but Sometimes to pursue a career in veterinary medicine, I'd say it certainly takes more than just a love for animals. Could you let us know why veterinary medicine? Why did you start on this journey and ultimately become a veterinarian?
0: I was really lucky when I was a lot younger. Um, I had, there was a family friend of my dad's who was a veterinarian, still is a veterinarian, um, and um, practiced small animal medicine. And I really looked up to him a lot. Um, and so um, he was the one who got me really involved with it and interested in it, and you know the combination of him, you know my grandma who you know worked with um, you know the cows and the sheep on on her farm, and um, you know watching her you know help them you know give birth and do things like that when I was young really impacted me, and so I think that those two people really were the people that that kind of you know spurred me off into this career and. Um, you know, off to off to the states eventually
1: it's incredible. You know, just ag folks, farm folks, some of the most hardworking people out there, man. Just enjoy, just <laughs> dealing with those elements. it's it's yeah. crazy. And I think you and I both, along our veterinary career, have spent you know a fair amount of time on farms and understanding just the large animal of uh, production animal versus companion animal. So ultimately, as I was saying, ultimately, you've had the unfortunate pleasure of having to work right alongside me. We're both surgeons. Why <laughs> veterinary surgery? I have had the pleasure of hearing you describe your your journey and why you selected veterinary surgery. But for those who don't know, what why did you select veterinary surgery as your specialty?
0: I think, you know, for me, I I like problem solving and I like things that I can that can physically fix you know i like i find that very rewarding and you know the patients that i see that you know have you know a fracture a broken leg you know things like that and and that that i am able to fix and repair and then watch them walk and get that you know that um you know immediate feedback of of improvement you know to me gives me a really good feel good factor and it's lovely seeing you know how how their owners then react and, you know, and, and see, you know, their, their joy and their happiness at, you know, successful outcomes and, and things like that. So for me, that was, that was the key that kind of, you know, led me down this path.
1: Yeah. There's no doubt there is a gratifying element to it, particularly uh, when you see them doing well, uh, but conversely, you will get immediate <laughs> feedback if the opposite is true, <laughs> if they're not doing well, but you're absolutely right. Is that when you have a species different family member in the house who is uncomfortable or painful it definitely disturbs that family dynamic yeah. and restoring that, that them to normalcy or helping them heal i think it really just keeps families together right yeah. it just it just unifies that family and i i just want to applaud you i find what you do so to be tremendously commendable. And this is somebody that gets to see what you do every single day and ask you for (laughs) advice on a daily basis. So, okay. So this is a Vet Mysteries podcast. So we have to talk a little bit about any personal mysteries. (laughs) Let me be clear. Anything you're comfortable sharing. Is there anything mysterious about you or that people wouldn't readily know?
0: I mean, one of the things I think people wouldn't readily know when they meet me is very much enjoy gaming and playing PlayStation and things like that in my in my free time which is not always not always a huge amount of free time but um when I do get it you know I do I do like to kind of go back to that and go back to to playing those games and to um you know kind of back to my childhood a little bit in a lot of ways
1: So you're a big gamer. Okay, my favorite games, surprise, surprise, were probably fighting games, okay? I love Street (laughs) Fighter. I love Mortal Kombat. But I also liked racing games. I loved a game called Gran Turismo. I don't know why I did, but I absolutely loved it. Are you a fan at all of any racing games or any fighting games?
0: Yeah, I mean, racing games, like, I loved, um, well, really, mainly the one that I loved, Throughout my life, has been Mario Kart. You know, Kart. all the time. You know, I've loved that, and you know, they give a new one on on your cell phone now that is very addictive. And so, yeah, that one for me was good. Fighting games, not so much. Like I, I, I liked them, but it was more like. When I, I liked them when they also had like problem-solving things, like yeah, absolutely. You know, the scary ones. That All right. All
1: right. Like- well, fine. I'm challenging you now to a game of Mario Kart. I had no idea <laughs> you were an aficionado. It is on the challenge. You need to accept it soon. However, we have some important matters to get to. We are here today to talk about a very interesting case, a fascinating case. And it's something that, Probably you and I, even a, a busy surgeon, a busy doctor, I'm guessing, and, and again, I don't know the details, but a busy doctor may only see one or two of these in their whole career, right? And so this is tremendously when we talk about bet mysteries, we talk about the strangest of the strange, the worst of the worst, the most captivating of the captivating. And so could you do us a favor? Could you set the scene for us on first provide us a signalment and a name of the patient? That you saw that day?
0: Yeah, the signalman was a six month old um, male, intact, um, domestic short haired cat um, by the name of Sam.
1: Sam. Okay, so Sam comes into you that day and just physically from a distance. <laughs> How does Sam look?
0: Sam, so Sam was pretty boisterous because he's only six months old and a pretty, pretty um, kind of wild little kitten. But he came in and he was kind of walking around the consult room, but kind of almost walking a little bit, almost like on eggshells with his back legs, you know, kind of, kind of tippy-toeing a little bit with, with both of his back legs. And, um, but otherwise, kind of getting around pretty fine seemed bright and happy.
1: Interesting. So he's in the room, he's walking around, and he's walking kind of on eggshells. And here's something I think is so critical, is, is as you are in that exam room, you are actually starting your exam at that point, right? So you may be speaking with the family, you may be engaged in conversation, but I think it's so critical to drill down that you're starting to observe Sam already. You you walk in there and you're starting to see how Sam's walking. I would like to know a little bit about what the family was experiencing and what your conversation was with the family. But before we get to that, could you talk to us a little bit about What's your protocol? What's your preferred methodology when you know that you're faced with a cat who is having trouble walking? What's some of the first things you do?
0: I mean, some of the first things that I do, I'll make sure that they're out of the carrier and, you know, make sure that they can, you know, explore the room safely. Because I, I find like when when they're having trouble walking, it takes a little while for any cat in a vet clinic to come out of their shell a little bit and to want to engage and walk around a little bit. And so sometimes even when I'm getting that history I'll try to let them free, you know, so that they can they can start to get become a little bit more comfortable and start to show me a little bit more what's going on.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They they are almost opposite, right? We always know in vet school where they say cats are not small dogs, right? But behaviorally, it is two totally different worlds. You might walk into an exam room and just see this happy-go-lucky, energetic Labradoodle who runs right up to you, tail wagging. He wants to meet you. It's a brand new friend. And then you have a cat who's like, no, I am (laughs) over this I want no part of this experience. Okay, so you 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 have Sam in the room. You're watching him wander through the room and explore. And you start having a conversation with that family. What is that family saying to you?
0: So they had brought him in, you know, and he had been limping a little bit on on initially they thought it was his left back leg and then as they were watching him you know over the last couple of weeks maybe they'd seen it on the right it wasn't totally sure they weren't totally sure you know what which exact leg it had been but it it, he seemed to be doing okay at home and just not really jumping up on you know furniture as much or or doing anything like that and 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 I should say as well, he's an indoor-only cat. They hadn't had any history of any kind of traumatic issues. You know, no escapes from the house, anything anything wild like that. Um, but he does, you know, live at home with another kitten from the same litter ma- litter as well. They can get pretty rough, you know, playing with each other. But nothing that the owners were aware of um, in terms of any kind of incidents that had happened.
1: That's a critical piece of information too. Is you know when you're obtaining that history, is understanding whether this kitty cat is indoor or outdoor. And I'm I'm so glad that you brought that you know to the forefront. You know you're hearing from the family. I'm not sure if it was the back left leg or the back right leg. Is there anything about a shifting leg lameness that cues you into or starts your your mindset into a particular pathway of thinking?
0: Yeah, I mean. For me, you know, when somebody's not quite sure about which leg it is, you know, one of the big things that you have to consider is it it honestly could be both. You know, it could be both that are having issues, you know, or potentially one and then the other is kind of less common. Oftentimes, it's, it's more likely that there's something going on with both of the back legs.
1: Interesting. So when you mentioned both of the back legs, take us back to that moment where you start doing your physical exam on Sam. What do you start finding as you do your physical exam?
0: He was very wriggly um, because he was a very happy little six-month-old kitty um, who had only been to the vet a couple of times before. So this was all pretty new to him. But, you know, although he was wriggly, he would eventually kind of let me feel a bit better, you know, the back legs and the main things that I was finding on him was that his, you know, his knees, you know, themselves were just a little bit thickened. There was nothing, you know, obviously, you know, broken or or anything, you know, obviously wrong, but they were just a bit thickened and, and, and potentially a little bit painful. Um, and it, it kind of seemed to be both of them when I was examining him.
1: Interesting. So he has a, a kitty cat with thick knees who's a little bit painful. And mm-hmm. just to dial in on that, I understand what you mean when you say thick, but describe for me when you say, hey, you know, this kitten has thick knees. For a lot of people, they don't even sort of understand necessarily, what does it mean to feel thick when the tissue feels thick?
0: Yeah, and so I couldn't really feel, you know, his kneecaps very well, and I couldn't really feel the joint surfaces so well. It was kind of there was a lot of kind of scar tissue kind of built up around those knee joints on both sides. That kind of just made them feel more bulbous than they than they otherwise should be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you're feeling these these knees or stifles in kitty cats, and they're just feeling thickened. You can barely feel the the normal bony protuberances that we would typically feel. Cats are typically Fairly bony creatures, right? You can start to feel a lot of, the, a lot of their anatomy pretty well. Uh, we do see a fair amount of overweight cats. So that's a completely <laughs> different thing, but they tend to not put their weight in their legs. Okay. So now you're feeling painful knees, painful stifles in the cat. Uh, he's wiggly. But before we move on onto the next step, I just wanted to ask you because you are very, you are kind of like the kitty whisperer. Do you have any tips or tricks? That, you seem, that seem to be successful for you when doing orthopedic exams on cats? Because again, we just mentioned they're completely different than dogs. Are there any tips or tricks that you have when doing ortho exams on cats?
0: I think what I've learned over, over the years of working with them is to try as much as I can to take it at their speed. Don't try and rush through it ever with them because you you'll either miss something or they won't. Tell you when something's painful, and sometimes, honestly, to realize that you you may not get to examine everything. You may just get to examine that leg that is sore, and so you know you, you may not be able to feel the front legs, and 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 you may have to accept that on that cat and and understand that that you have to work within their limitations and what they'll let you do.
1: I love that. I love the way you put that because you may only get a chance to feel that leg, which is kind of something that you and I alluded to earlier, which is that it's completely different than dogs. A lot of times my technique for dogs is to come to the leg that's painful last because I just don't want to sensitize them to sort of a painful experience. But in cats, just like what you said, very frequently, I'll go to the leg that's painful First, because yeah. I know that there's a possibility I may not have to get to examine the rest of the kitty cat. So you, I love the way you put that. So, all right, Sam, painful knees, thick, his family's not sure what leg he was limping on. What was the next step you took and why?
0: So the next step I took was um, to give him a little bit of pain medication, give him a little bit of sedation and get some x-rays on it. Okay.
1: Um, let's pause there for a second. Yeah. You're, you're saying, all right, I want to take some x-rays. But when you're talking to that family, you're saying, I'd like to get some x-rays because why? Or do you have differentials or things that you are thinking in your head as to what this could be or what's going through your head at that point?
0: I was concerned that, I mean, there was something going on with both of its knees at that point. And so the things that I was considering as a differential was, you know, could there be some kind of incomplete fracture like a like a hairline fracture? You know, I was worried that maybe his kneecaps could be luxating. That's sometimes we, something we can see in cats. and And so I was worried about that. you know, I you know, some of the other things that could have been happening. I mean he could have had some kind of you know, muscular or soft tissue trauma or you know, some kind of, you know, joint infection, something weird going on like that. But um, I felt like if I could give him some sedative, you know, just to, to kind of take the edge off for him a little bit and get some x-rays, I might have a, a much clearer idea of what was going on with him.
1: Yeah, no doubt, soft tissue. Listen, cats' job, their job is to make abscesses and they are very good at their job. So absolutely, you know, one of the top, or probably the most common reason for lameness in cats are abscesses. And so getting a chance to do your exam, take radiographs and assess them, whether there's some sort of soft tissue trauma is, is certainly a smart move. All right. So the family, I'm guessing there were they were okay with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, they cool. were fine with
1: it. And what's what's also important, another element that I love is that you mentioned sedation. Because do you feel that you get a chance to do two exams one unsedated and then you get a chance to do a sedated exam could you talk about the difference between the two and why you like doing them both
0: yeah and so the non sedated exam i like because then i get to feel i get to feel for which area is actually painful <laughs> I can see that, you know, he's limping on these back legs, but I don't know where it's coming from until I feel him. from that exam. I can actually tell, you know, where, where the pain and where the discomfort's coming from. But sometimes, you know, they can be too uncomfortable, you know, with me touching it to be for me to be able to tell, you know, why. And so assessing them again, once they've had a bit of sedative, like a, like a pain medication, honestly, you know, can be really helpful to, to then help me narrow down exactly what's going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you take away some of that desire for them to constantly pull away, run away, get you, tag you, those kinds of things that can definitely help your exam. Okay. So we've arrived at this moment where we take radiographs. What are you x-raying by the way?
0: I was, I was X-raying both of the knees.
1: Both of the knees.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, no pelvis in there, no chest, nothing like I,
0: that. I got one um, one hip extended view as okay. well, one pelvis view.
1: Okay. And, and again, this may sound trivial, but just help us out for a little bit. You obviously feel thick knees. Uh, is there any particular reason you decided to take a pelvis shot?
0: It was mainly because he was so squirmy that I wasn't... Both of the knees were thick, but they felt the same on either side and so sometimes that can that can mislead you into thinking that there's something wrong when it might just be his, you know, how he's built, you know, he might just feel like that. So I took a pelvis view as well so that I could make sure I, I wasn't missing something up there too.
1: Okay. Perfect. And, and not only that, I mean, cats and their femurs and their femoral necks, they, you know, historically, they are the poster child for femoral mm-hmm. neck fracture. So I absolutely would take pel- uh, a pelvis radiograph 100% of the time. Okay. So you take radiographs and what's the first thing that goes through your head?
0: When I saw the radiographs, the first thing that went through my head was, you know, I was very thankful that I'd taken the x-rays because he actually had fractures, you know, of both of his kneecaps in both knees. Um, Wait a minute.
1: He had fractures of both of his kneecaps?
0: Yeah. He had both of them had fractured.
1: Okay. So let's pause there for a second. When you see bilateral patella fractures in a cat, what's the first thing that goes through your head at that point?
0: It's uncommon for us to see, you know, fractures on both sides like this without, you know, some kind of, you know, high level of trauma. You know, for him, he had just been a, you know, stay-at-home cat, you know, who had never really had anything traumatically ha- traumatic happen to him. So I, I thought that something traumatic, like jumping off of, you know, a high, you know, a high height, or getting, you know, hit by a car or something like that, you know, was pretty unlikely for him. But I did remember. A condition that, that some kittens can get and some cats can get the, that can predispose them to these kinds of atraumatic or, or non-trauma related, you know, fractures, you know, of these of these knee
1: Okay. So you, this is this is so critical at this point. You take radiographs, you notice these changes, you're thinking in your head, this is really serious. But then a light bulb goes on and you remember that there's this atypical condition that cats get sometimes. What was the next thing you did after you had that realization?
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, the next thing that I did, you know, after I had that realization was, um, you know, I, I got him awake from his sedative, you know, and I got on the phone to the clients, to the owners, you know, to talk to them, you know, about what was going on with him and what we should do next, you know, with him and how we should treat him.
1: Yeah. What was it? What was the next thing you did?
0: the cats that get these this condition and you know even though they have these fractures you know these these broken kneecaps although it would make the most sense to to do something surgical to them and to to try and repair them when you look at the studies and you look at how these cats do with these repairs over 80% of them do very poorly, you know, when you take them to surgery. Um, and so now, you know, the recommendation for them is to actually treat them medical and to so give him pain medications, try and keep him as quiet as possible at home, which was not easy, and try to keep him rested.
1: Interesting. So you, you discover these broken kneecaps. You're, you, you go to the family, you say, hey, listen, you know, the, the, the inclination. For most people would be, hey, if you have a broken bone, how do you fix it? Your conversation with them is, hey, listen, when we try to fix these, they don't do very well. And then at that point, did you say to yourself, all right, let me go take a look again at him and see if there's <laughs> anything different about him? Yeah. Or, or what, what was your mindset there once you had discussed with them that surgery is probably not ideal for him?
0: yeah and so the only, the other thing that i did look at when i when i saw those radiographs is i went back and had another look in his mouth um and he actually had had a lot of uh, a few deciduous teeth or baby teeth um that was still there um and he was six months old at the time so he should kind of be at the end of having his baby teeth it's a weird syndrome. So this, um, you know, they call it, you know, the knees and knees and teeth syndrome. They can develop these these fractures in the kneecaps. They also can have all these um, abnormalities, you know, with their, you know, with their, with their teeth and, and retain all their baby teeth as well. Okay,
1: okay. This is this is critical because this is exa- exactly what we talk about when we say mysterious. This is essentially one of those syndromes that it's rare. This is atypical. We just don't see it. And you had mentioned, they call it knees and teeth syndrome. That sounds like a pretty colloquial term. (laughs) What's the medical term for knees and teeth syndrome? And and please continue, what abnormalities do you see with this knees and teeth syndrome?
0: Yeah, and so I think it is a form of a condition called osteogenesis imperfecta, which is essentially a genetic condition where they have issues with collagen um, within the body, and so the collagen doesn't quite form properly. And then their their bones don't quite form properly. Um, and they can have you know these these malformations in in their mouth. They can have these retained um, baby teeth. The most common fractures that they can get are these fractures of the kneecaps. But they can also get fractures elsewhere too. And so they can get fractures you know in. In their shin bones, you know, sometimes in their forearms, things like that too, um, that can occur. And it's, it's a condition that, that occurs pretty rarely in people too. But, um, you know, we're just starting to understand and just starting to um, appreciate it more in cats.
1: Fascinating stuff. You so much to unpack there from osteogenesis imperfecta to multiple fractures. These poor kittens, these poor cats who are just walking around with brittle bones that are just having spontaneous fractures. I can't imagine how painful that would be. I can't imagine what a quality of life would, that would be, having broken bones just happen spontaneously and occur without warning or trauma. This is going to sound a little silly, but Dr. Webb, have you seen the movie Glass? It's not. You have not seen the movie Glass. Okay. It's got my man Sam Jackson in it, Samuel Jackson in it, and a bunch of other heavyweight actors in it. And I'm apologize to all of those diehard fans because this is part <laughs> of a trilogy. But uh that movie Glass it goes into detail about one of the main protagonists who actually has osteogenesis imperfecta. And he is he wheelchair bound, you know, and disabled because he experiences. Spontaneous fractures. So, you, when you say this happens in people, I, I not only do I one hundred percent agree with you, but it was dramatized in Hollywood uh, for for osteogenesis imperfecta, and so knees and teeth syndrome, kittens bilateral patella fractures. What were the next steps for Sam? Is there anything that can be done for Sam? Is there it, it, what was his prognosis?
0: So his prognosis overall, you know, with this and with with the medical management, I mean it's hard to know exactly, you know, with him, you know, he, thankfully he responded very well to the medical management, the pain management. And I followed him out, you know, for a few more months and took some more x-rays, you know, to monitor these fractures. They didn't get any worse and they didn't get any further. The pieces didn't get further apart. And, and he actually, um, you know, was able to function, Um, quite well, you know, on those back legs. Now, I don't know, you know, how he's doing, you know, now, but, you know, some of these cats can live pretty good lives and not necessarily have, you know, uh, so many, you know, fractures throughout their lives. But there are others that are more severely affected and, and can have multiple fractures and can be pretty bad for them.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, absolutely. You're saying there's different gradations or severity of this particular syndrome. And it's one of these situations where when you see that, when you see a kitten who has brittle bones and has spontaneous fractures and bilateral patella fractures, you know, there might be vets out there, there might be surgeons, there might be a veterinary healthcare professionals who look at that and say, I'm sorry, we're, we're going to have to euthanize or prevent this cat from ongoing suffering by letting him go. And what it sounds like you're saying is that there are some cats who can actually lead good lives with a good quality and who aren't in constant pain.
0: Yeah. And, and I do think, you know, as I followed him and, um, you know, and as I followed him through his recovery, he very much improved and his owners felt the same way too. His family felt the same way that he felt much more comfortable. The weird thing was that during the following of him and during his recovery, they started actually to notice their other kitten, his sister, limping as well. And so one of his rechecks, they brought her in and she actually had fractured one of her her kneecaps. And so they were unlucky, you know, in, in terms of, you know, the genetic lottery, you know, these two. And they both had this condition, but I think, you know, There's varying levels of severity. I mean, he had both of his kneecaps, you know, fractured and, and had, you know, a a bunch of baby teeth still there. She had no baby teeth, you know, remaining, but and only one fracture. And so both of them ultimately did quite well with this medical management and with, with restriction, but we'll have to see how they go, you know, later on in their lives.
1: Unbelievable. So they're at home and they see his littermate, his sister, she's limping too. They're like, wait a minute, could this be the same? Yeah. It turns out it is. It was, it was, it was yeah. the exact same thing. So we know this is heritable or genetic component. And Sam went on to lead a a a good quality of life. That makes me so happy. Is there one thing after this? incredible experience with this rare syndrome, this atypical syndrome. Is there any advice that you have for either pet parents or veterinarians who encounter this or who may not be familiar with this? Is there one morsel of of advice that you can give them?
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things that I took away from this was, you know, on him, you know, he had these retained baby teeth. And, you know, for me, you know, if if I had known that, you know, even before, you know, looking at his teeth a bit closer under sedation, I mean, that maybe might've even clued me in earlier, you know, to what was going on, these baby teeth. And I think in those cats where you're seeing these retained baby teeth doing a very thorough orthopedic exam and examining those bones and joints as well as you can, I think is, is very important. And then I think the other thing is just to always have a, a wide list, you know, of of differentials for for what can be going on, you know. I mean, we we talk about you know how common things occur commonly, but every now and again, you get something like this that that kind of throws a curveball, you know, in your day.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I I mean, that's more than a curveball. I mean, that's like a that's like a change up slider or whatever sports analogy. I don't watch baseball, but anyway, yeah, that is definitely different. Wow, that is such great advice. Thank you so much for sharing this case with us. Thanks for sharing your knowledge, your wisdom your experiences. I mean, this was a true mystery. It definitely had me at the edge of my seat. Now, do us all a favor, if you don't mind. There are so many people listening right now who are like, man, I want to hear more from her. I want to know more from her. Where can I find her? Is there anywhere, whether it's socials, professionally, is there anywhere that people can find or hear more of you?
0: I do have an Instagram account that they could that they could find me with. But now, Dr.
1: Webb, know. is this an Instagram account that people can definitely reach out to you, or is this an Instagram account that you'd like to keep private?
0: I mainly like to keep it private.
1: Okay, well, we'll, we'll do it then. We'll <laughs> keep it private. No problem. <laughs> Listen, we have tremendous people and illustrious guests who sometimes have more of an outreach on their socials, but I completely 100% love just sometimes just keeping a little personal. So let's do that. And I just want to thank you again for joining us for this episode. You were tremendous. And please, if we have a round two, right, would you mind sharing another mystery with us in the future? Of
0: course. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Thanks again, Dr. Webb. Talk to you soon.
0: We'll be right back with more Vet Candy.
2: Credelio Cat Loner protects your cat from ticks and fleas, so you can be close. Credelio Close, the first and only of its kind. It's a small, tasty chewable that's easy to give. Lodoloner is a member of the Isoxazoline class of drugs. The most common side effects are weight loss, rapid breathing, and vomiting. This drug class has been associated with neurological adverse reactions. Use with caution on cats with a history of seizures. Keep your cat close. Credelio close.
1: Well, there you have it, folks. There was Dr. Webb, Dr. Rebecca Webb from Australia. She had a tremendous upbringing with both farm animals, companion animals, and she likes fixing stuff. She likes watching animals just get better and healing them. And she's got a tremendous talent at doing that. She left us with a lot of morsels, morsels of wisdom in that when you're doing your ortho exam and you see pain in the knees, don't be afraid to do an oral exam as well. Or if, you see, if you're doing an oral exam and you see retained baby teeth, it passed when it should be, don't be afraid to do a thorough Ortho exam. So these are great morsel of information. Please tune into more episodes of Vet Mysteries with Dr. Courtney, and we will have, we'll continue to have more illustrious guests. In the meantime, please take care of your pets and each other, and remember, there's nothing stronger than the human-animal bond.
0: Vet candy. Vet candy. candy. It's vet candy radio.